Welcome to Dayspring Fellowship. You've picked a good day to join us. God wants to do something new in you today. And since we grow best in community, we get the privilege of being a part of what that new thing is, whatever it is. God is always good. So even though none of us might know what that new thing is, we can trust that His perfect work will make you more like Jesus. And since that's what we're all about, let's count today in the win column of your spiritual journey. And mine. Speaking of which, I'm Chris Voigt, and I lead the team here at Dayspring. People grow here because that team loves to encourage and challenge people just like you to trust Jesus with more of your life. More today than yesterday, more tomorrow than today. If you're visiting Dayspring today, we want you to know that we are a come-as-you-are kind of church. We're a church of good old regular people, people trying to clean up their messy lives one step in the right direction at a time. Which means that no matter where you are on your spiritual journey, this is a good place to be in process, figuring it out. We haven't arrived yet, so we can be good company on the journey. Even if you aren't sure the Christian life is a journey you want to be on, this is a good place to ask questions as you look for answers. So welcome. You can learn more about us as a church by exploring our website at dsf.church, by checking out our Facebook page, or contacting us by phone or email. If you need help figuring out the next step to making Dayspring your home church, or if you just have questions, let us know. We'll help you find the answers. For today's service, you can find a discussion guide by selecting Watch from the top menu of our website. And now, let's join our service. I was adopted into the family of God at the ripe old age of seven. Uh, Jesus used Roberta Shorb to introduce me to him. Uh, When you're seven, every adult is old to you. So in my mind, Roberta was probably in her 50s or 60s, a very kind, faithful servant of our Lord who believed in reaching kids for the kingdom of God. In retrospect, I don't think she really was in her 50s. I've been a Christ follower for 47 years, and Roberta is still alive to the best of my knowledge. So unless she's over 100 now, she probably wasn't that old. Sorry, Roberta. Uh, from, From that moment on, Jesus has been central to my everyday living. And most of you know that I had some challenging years as a kid. Enough challenges that I, that I entered adulthood a bit broken. Uh, God did begin redeeming all of that junk long before adulthood. Music and church were my refuge and he inhabited all of my music, shoring up my foundation, the foundation of my faith. But my life really began to change when I entered college. Instead of a dorm room, I connected with the Alpha Omega House, a church-owned and operated house of Christian men right at the edge of the University of Oregon campus. It was the first time in my life that I was surrounded by friends who believed and lived like I did, committed to a life with Jesus as the center. I wasn't weird for being a Christian. I mean, I might still have been weird for a lot of other reasons just not for following Christ. 
I had grown up in some really solid Bible-centered churches, and I'll be forever grateful for the theological foundation they gave me uh, and the opportunity to develop musically. But for the first time, I experienced really deep, powerful community, and it changed me. With brothers and sisters in Christ, because where there are a bunch of guys, girls will always follow. So with those brothers and sisters, I experienced true joy as a follower of Christ. Life was fun, fellowship was deep, and I grew more spiritually than I ever had before. Welcome to the third week of our series, Wired, Brain Science and Spiritual Growth. Today we're going to find out why my college experience impacted my growth so strongly and how we might all experience the same thing here. We live in the age of technology, technology that is changing our lives at a faster pace than most of us can keep up with, which can sometimes be a little frustrating. Like, just when I feel like I've finally gotten something figured out, something better is released, or an update gets pushed through that changes everything again and erases all of your progress on Candy Crush. You, you have to start all over. I know you know what I'm talking about. Most of the time, these technological changes don't fill me with frustration, but rather with awe for the way that God designed the world. I believe that science is our friend. Over and over, God, it, it confirms the work of God's hands, his design of the universe. And anytime science seems to con contradict what we know to be true from God's word, just wait a week. Science usually catches up to our ancient truth eventually. Uh, the science of the brain has me, been, fascinated me for a long time. I've studied and taught worship leaders from all over the world about how creativity impacts our brain and increases our connection with God. And as technology has improved and science has gone deeper, we've learned more and more about the role of the brain in how we grow. For example, we used to think that we only used about 10% of our brains. How many of you ever heard this one when you were, were growing up? Guess what? Not true. God didn't waste 90% of our brains when he molded and breathed life into Adam. I mean, come on, it's not like the brain is the same thing as our appendix, which does anyone know what good it does? We use far more than 10% of our brains. We also used to believe that Everyone was pretty much right-brained or left-brained. Again, it's really not quite that simple. And here's why. For all of us, men and women, boys and girls, everything that enters the brain, enters the brain on the right back side. Everything. From there, it processes to the front right side crosses over to the left side, somewhere behind the right eye, and then processes to the back left side. So while we all have left or right brain strengths and weaknesses, we all process everything right to left, back to front, front to back, leaving us with a couple of very important things to keep in mind. First, the left side of our brain, which processes information at five times per second, is home to our conscious thoughts and speech. But 
since the right side of the brain gets first dibs on processing everything and is more powerful and faster at six times per second than the left brain, our right brain has an edge over the left. It is where our pre-conscious thought happens, meaning that we often know things before we can put words to them because the left side is still catching up. The second thing we want to keep in mind, on our journey to align character with Jesus, which we call spiritual formation, on that journey, the right brain is responsible for spiritual formation. We definitely need the left brain too. But for spiritual formation to form our character to Jesus, the journey must be driven from the right side. Which makes sense if you think about it. We are developing a relationship with Jesus. The right side of our brain is responsible for relational management. The right side of our brain is responsible for navigating our emotions. Love is an emotion expressed in relationship. And as we learned from Jesus a couple of weeks ago, love comes before obedience. Love comes first. We left brain obey because we right brain love Jesus. And the more we right brain love Jesus, the more we left brain obey. Left brain Christianity is just the opposite. It tries inconsistently at best to get us to obey first, which then it incorrectly hopes will lead to more love. But love comes first. And love requires relationship because love isn't love until you give it away. Until you give it away, it just sits on the shelf of our left brain as great information and something to aspire to. But that also underscores the importance of growing in community. God designed spiritual formation to occur in community. The goal of spiritual formation is to get us to the point where we instinctively act like Jesus before we have time to think about acting like Jesus. So you hit your, your thumb with a hammer and you respond like Jesus. That's the kind of instinct we're talking about. We develop that kind of instinct in the rich soil of good, healthy community. Good soil can be cultivated. So there's hope, even if you don't currently have good soil for your spiritual formation. Four nutrients make up good soil. Last week, we learned that joy is the first nutrient. Joy is the gateway to spiritual growth. It's the gateway. Without joy, aligning our character to Christ is next to impossible. We've clearly covered a lot of ground already. So if you've missed either or both of the, the past two weeks, I heartily recommend that you watch them later or watch them again to cement the truth into your long-term memory. You will understand it better if you have a more complete picture of what we've been talking about. I think we're ready for the next nutrient. Neuroscience would describe this nutrient as relational attachment. Relational attachment. Jim Wilder and Michael Hendricks, authors of the book, The Other Half of Church, the, the book that we've based this series on, tell us that our brains draw life from our strongest relational attachments to grow our character and develop our identity. Who we love shapes who we are. 
Character in the brain is an expression of strong and healthy identities. Our identity, which we want to look like Jesus, develops through our attachments. Joyful, secure attachments build strong, healthy identity centers. Fearful and weak attachments lead to identity centers that damage our relationships when we're upset. Our character is developed through the kinds of deep, lasting relationships that, that can navigate relational storms while remaining loving. The identity center, which is found in the prefrontal cortex of your brain, is relational. Science reveals that the prefrontal cortex of our brain grows to become about one-sixth of the brain. It is wired with neurological circuits that represent three faces engaged with each other. Picture yourself in a small huddle with two other people. That's how the prefrontal cortex is wired, meaning that it is developed through multiple relationships. For example, infant brains develop through joyful interactions, usually with, with mother and father. Mom and dad's faces combine with the baby's growing sense of self for a triad of joyful interaction. And in an ideal environment, this lays the foundation for a lifelong joyful identity. These three viewpoints form one single identity. Baby's identity, and ours too really, but a baby's identity on the other hand does not form from a foundation of love and joy if the parent's faces are fearful or detached. Jim Wilder adds that God designed a brain that only knows itself in relationship. Let me repeat that. Your brain only knows itself in relationship. And then, only when that relationship is one of love. We can only know ourselves in loving community with, with others. That's what develops our identity center loving community. Now, let's translate that to the church. At its best, the church creates an environment of healthy relational attachments of love that bond us together in relationship and create uh, an ideal atmosphere for forming our character into the image of Christ. So much so that like a baby's brain can only know itself through relationships of love, we can only know ourselves through loving relationships. That's how our identity is formed. And when the opposite is true, and most of us could probably think of a church or two that we've been involved in where fear-based attachments won the day and weak attachments were the norm. When love, when love and joy are not central to the life of the church, our character is stunted. Our character formation is stunted. When love and joy do not come first, the truth of God's word becomes great left-brained information that leads to little spiritual transformation. I know lots and lots of people who know lots and lots of the Bible, have been around it for years and years, yet they are still in bondage to anger, making their family in bondage to anger. They're still in bondage to some sin. Their, their, their character hasn't aligned with Jesus, which it should have by this point in their lives. 
right-brained joy and love are the mechanisms that embed the spiritual truth of God's word into our character. Love is the primary shaper of character. Now, let's see if science has caught up with scripture and whether we can align all of this with what we see in the Bible. If attachments are indispensable to our spiritual formation, then we ought to find the concept all over scripture. And we do. The Bible has two words that describe the kind of relationships that we've been talking about. One is an Old Testament Hebrew word, the other a Greek word found in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, we find a word that scholars agree is hard to convey, uh, hard to convey the meaning of with just one word. And that Hebrew word is hesed. It shows up in the Old Testament almost 250 times. But because it's hard to capture the nuance of hesed with just one word, translators have given us several. Let's start in Lamentations chapter 3 verse 22. This is a, a verse uh, that's familiar to many of us. Here in the New Living Translation, it says, The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Here, hesed is translated faithful love. The English Standard Version says steadfast love. You will also find it translated as great love, loyal kindness, loving kindness, and mercies. Hesed carries the enduring connection that brings life and good things into all relationship. Hesed is not just a feeling, it is an action. Uh, author Lois Dverberg says that Hesed intervenes on behalf of loved ones and comes to their rescue. Bible scholar Daryl Bach explains that Hesed is wrapping up in itself all of the positive attributes of God. Love, covenant faithfulness, mercy, grace, kindness, loyalty. In short, acts of devotion that go beyond the requirements of duty. Meaning, said relationships are deeply rooted, doing life together sacrificially in love relationships. The original language, languages of the New Testament were Aramaic and Greek. And in Greek, we find another word that describes the kind of loving attachments Christians have with God and each other. It is agape, which was a very obscure word, a Greek word, until Christians came onto the scene and started using it. Variations of the word love are used almost 350 times in the New Testament. Of those variations, about one-third are agape, making it a very important concept to understand. Agape is the New, Te New Testament equivalent of hesed. I will use them interchangeably the rest of the message, so don't get confused. They are intended to mean the same thing, just different languages. But even with that said, the Apostle Paul found agape inadequate to convey what he meant. And so he took all of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 to communicate the depth and richness of Hesed. Paul wasn't the only one who added adjectives to agape. In 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 22, uh, Peter writes, you were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other 
deeply. That's agape with all your heart. He uses the same concept later on in chapter 4 as well. Uh, Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other. For love covers a multitude of sins. And to the church in Ephesus, Paul writes, Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love. The King James Version says to walk in love. Following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us. A pleasing aroma to God. Which brings me back to my college years. Though I would never have had words for it at the time, it was this agape slash hesed love that framed all of our relationships. Attachment is the strongest force in the brain. Even though we feel, feel it strongly, it's not an emotion. It goes much deeper than that, deeper even than willful control. And frankly, though the word feels a little clinical and detached, attachment is the best word scientists could come up with to describe this glue that binds people together. You could actually picture it that way. It is like super glue to our relationships. They stick the same way. If our culture hadn't watered down the word love like it has, we could just use that word, loving attachments or loving relationships. But since we loved that movie and loved the weekends, loved to eat, and I love Diet Coke, I hope you're getting a picture of a different kind of love as God designed it. That is hesed. That's agape. In fact, think about the never-ending sacrificial love that God has for us. That is hesed. That's what Jesus came to establish, a community of hesed, which for us begins when we hesed bond with Jesus. In 1 John chapter 3, uh, John writes this, See how very much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children, and that is what we are. But the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't know him. You might know this verse better in the New International Version. It starts with, see what great love the Father has lavished on us. Hesed begins from the moment we say yes to a relationship with Jesus. We are super glued into the spiritual family of God, called to create a community bonded together in Hesed. In Matthew chapter 22, a teacher of the law asked Jesus which commandment was the greatest. In words that are uh, pretty familiar to most of us, Jesus replied, You must love, love here is a variation of agape that means the same thing. It is agapao. You must agapao the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Again, agapao, agapao your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all of the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Agape slash hesed is at the heart of everything we are supposed to be about. There is no escape from hesed if we want to hesed Jesus enough to obey him and form our character to his. John chapter 15 is another familiar passage to many of us. In it, Jesus describes himself as the vine and us as the branches. 
For us to bear fruit, we must remain in him. He goes on to say in verse 9, I have loved, I have agapowed you, even as the Father has loved or agapowed me. Remain in my agape, remain in my love. And in verse 12, this is my commandment. Agapow each other in the same way that I have agapowed you. You know what's really interesting about this passage? Uh, I've been in church for 47 years. I'm very familiar with these words. I've studied them. I've taught them. I've been taught them. And in all of that time, no one has ever taught me, and until today, I've never taught anyone, that remaining in Jesus' love, abiding with Jesus, happens with anyone but me and Jesus. You and me remaining in Jesus, you remaining in Jesus. But with all that we've already learned and what we see here, it's pretty clear our attachment to Jesus wasn't meant to dead end. God design, God's design is that relational attachment flows from him through us to others. Has said from top to bottom. Our bond with Jesus in turn binds us together as one big said family. And we remain in him when we also remain in said community. Now I think you get the point. Agape is laced throughout the entire New Testament. I'd encourage you to look at it on your own. A simple Google search will help you find the verses. But as I look at the capital C church, I'd have to say that we aren't doing very well at hesedding together. Instead, we've taken our cues from culture. Creating spiritual family isn't a priority. It's just another thing on our list of to-dos. And if we don't check it off, and most of us don't, that's okay with us. You cannot build, build hesed if you rush into the Sunday service just as it begins, or late even, and then rush out afterwards. The Sunday service is just a gateway to hesed anyway. Even before COVID across the country, full-time church attendance had dropped to one to two times per month. And now that we're getting back into the post-quarantine swing of things, it's headed that way again. So we aren't even taking advantage of the gateway to Hesed. Rather than really pressing into deep relationships that are able to withstand our quirks and failures, we've become more adept at church hopping, settling for weak attachments, yet longing for something more because that's how God created us. And we've, we become discouraged and disillusioned without it, wondering if this Jesus kind of living actually works for anyone. And even though I would argue that if you are a Jesus follower, uh, building said is your responsibility, that the church is just a mechanism to help you build said more naturally, too many churches mistakenly think that doing good things for Jesus is the same thing as, as character-forming said. Don't get me wrong, doing good things in the name of Jesus is important and valuable, but it isn't the same as character formation. It might look good from the outside, but without said, something is missing. Without said, churches start acting like institutions instead of families. In the book of Revelation, Jesus himself addressed this very issue in the Ephesian church. Through the eyes of John the disciple, he says, I know all the things you do. I have seen your hard work and your patient endurance 
I know you don't tolerate even evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. You have discovered they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. Uh, listen, church. You're, you work hard. You don't give up. Your doctrine is sound. Uh, you've protected the church. So far, so good. But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. That's how important this set is. You've, you've lost your love. You've stopped acting like a family. And if you don't turn the ship around, I'm going to sink the ship. Those are my words, obviously, not Jesus. But without love, we are a clanging symbol. We don't represent Jesus when love isn't our highest aim. Has said for God and for each other are inextricably connected. They cannot be separated. Lo nothing trumps love, especially when it comes to character formation. And here's why. You've heard the phrase, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. Imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. Well, it is much more than that. Our right brains operate in the realm of relationships. And it is our relational experiences and memories that God uses to form our character. When we see a more mature person handling a difficult situation, that image gets processed in our relational brain. The right brain absorbs this image of a mature Christian and goes to work molding our, on our, goes to work on molding our character. All of this faster than conscious thought. In fact, this is why intergenerational relationships are so important. When everyone you are in community with is in about the same place spiritually as you are, you miss out on a piece of this. But when I'm out to lunch with a more mature uh, Christ follower and something goes wrong, the food is wrong, the service is bad, the environment is nutso, you know, like when that kid squalling in the booth next to you is enough to make you want to scream, you know. So when I'm with you, a, a more mature Christ follower, and I see how Jesus-like you handle the situation, my brain's identity center receives an update on how we... My people handle difficult situations at restaurants when we follow Christ. It just snaps a picture. Imitation is a direct driver of transformation, and it requires a Hesed relationship to be the delivery mechanism. From a neuroscience standpoint, our nonverbal right brain updates our reality and response at the rate of six times per second. If you were to try to use your left brain for this, you couldn't even fit one word into one of those sixths of a second. But our right brain does, does it and gives us an almost instantaneous picture and stores it away. Which means that our character is formed from memory pictures that our brain stores as examples. Who I am and how I should act comes from these pictures. We imitate what we have seen. Why do you think Jesus gave us word pictures in the form of parables to illustrate biblical truth? 
and then told us to imitate him, to love like he loved. He modeled how to handle praise and insults, how to connect with the lost and hurting, how to suffer and bring healing, how to handle the inevitable interruption to our plans and agendas. He washed feet and then told us to wash feet. Paul affirmed the power of imitation to the church in, in Corinth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, as their spiritual father, he said, I urge you to imitate me. And then in chapter 11, he said it again, you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. Because character is formed that way. Our attachments to Jesus and others channel the flow of our Christ-like character, our instant gut response to the world around us. So let me ask you, how is your hesed? Is it hesedding in the right direction? I can tell you that this is the kind of church we want to be. And the pastors and elders and staff are living Hesed out with each other more and more all the time. We have some really great pockets of Hesed around the church, but we want more. The problem is that the, of the four nutrients of good soil, Hesed finds the most resistance because it requires that we change the way we think about church and the way we relate to each other. We can't think about church as just another thing on our to-do list. To a certain degree, we have to begin to orient our lives around our church relationships. When I was a kid, after church, we'd almost always have lunch with another family, usually the Kretschmers, which was okay, but they had four girls and no boys. And when you're in the third grade, that isn't cool. In middle school, I would have completely felt different about the whole situation. But we were always doing lunch with our people from church, building relationships, doing life together. When was the last time you invited someone out to lunch after church? A shared meal is a great way to build bonds with others. How many meals did Jesus share with people? Authenticity is another great bonding opportunity. Most of us try to hide our weaknesses. But in high Hesed communities, we bring those dark places into the light with each other. That's probably not a first time over a meal activity. You might have to work your way up to that one. Our culture tries to attach around strengths, but it is more holistic to add our weaknesses into the relationship as well. And really, your Hesed friends will see those weaknesses eventually anyway. Even Jesus did this. On the night he was arrested, as they entered the Garden of Gethsemane, he told the disciples that his soul was overwhelmed with sorrow and he invited them into his suffering with him through prayer. Though for the record, they fell asleep. Paul was always boasting, if you will, about his weaknesses, never touting his strengths. Admitting weakness makes us human. People want to connect with fellow humans, not superhumans. These are just a couple of ideas for you as you seek to build Hesed in your own life. As for the church, we will seek to give you opportunities to Hesed the heck out of each other. Uh, this past summer, Jerry and Jane Afanito started bringing yummy cookies with them at 10.15 on Sunday mornings to give people an opportunity to develop relationships. You are invited. 
Serving is another fantastic way to build hesed. Serving, at least at Dayspring, is far less about you doing something for the church than it is about the church giving you something. The opportunity to build deep, life-giving, character-forming relationships. Growth groups and Bible studies provide the same opportunities. And across the board, every ministry has opportunities for you to build relationships. Hint, hint, look at your bulletin. Hesed and joy are the first two nutrients of healthy relational soil that is transformational to your character. They are so indispensable that I'd say that you can't fully become the person God is calling you to become without them. The quality of our soil will determine what will grow or not grow in our lives. Next week, we'll look at the third nutrient, a nutrient that provides a stable sense of who we are. Let's pray. Father, Thank you for relationships. First and foremost, thank you for the ability to have a relationship at all with the God who created us. You, you didn't have to, to do things the way you did, the, to go to the, the extremes that you went to, uh, the extreme of giving up your son on the cross for us so that you could have a relationship with us. You didn't have to do that. But you did it because you wanted to be in relationship with us. And I would venture to say that we often take that for granted. We often just kind of gloss over the cost of relationship with us. But Father, may we not gloss over the relationship that forms our character to Jesus, the kinds of relationships that will do that. May we pay the cost like Jesus did and invest our lives with the people of God who will help us to become like Jesus, who will form our character to Jesus. We have today to become like Jesus. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. And I know that with every fiber of my being, that the moment we cross over the threshold into eternity, we're going to wish that we had hesedded even more. Thank you that we don't have to wait for that day, that we can build it today. And for each one of us, wherever we are in relationship with other Christ followers, we can turn it up a degree. Show us what to do in our own lives to develop deep, lasting relationships of love. Teach us to said. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Let me encourage you to download the discussion guide by selecting Watch from the top menu of our website. Working through those questions, alone or with others, will help the truth of God's Word find its place in your life. Please reach out if you have any questions or want help on your spiritual journey. 
My email address is on the screen, or you can call the church during the week. This ministry is made possible because of people like you, people who believe in what God is doing through Dayspring. Your financial generosity is evidence of God's work in your life. If you're just checking us out today, please know that we don't expect you to give anything to support Dayspring. That is the responsibility of our Dayspringers. Just enjoy the rest of your day. If you'd like to start giving, we have three easy ways for you to get us your gift. Please see the online giving section of our website, or text GIVE to the number on your screen, or mail a check to us at the address you'll find on our website. And before I sign off, thank you for liking and sharing and following Dayspring on whatever platform you are on. Thank you for rating us where that is appropriate. I am so encouraged when you share something that has impacted you through this service with someone else. Until we meet again, may you experience great joy in the presence of Jesus. Thank you.